Let's go, PCA. It's an awesome night to praise and worship our God. Amen. We love you, Lord. We adore you. We're going to rejoice in you. We're going to sing your praises, God. You alone are worthy. Sweet. 
bless your holy name. What a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness, what a peace is mine, leaning on the everlasting arms. Leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarms. your holy name Lord Lord we bless you we thank you for who you are God of love Father we praise you and we revel in your endless infinite love amen you are so good to us God hallelujah I was walking the wayside lost on a lonely road I was chasing the high life, trying to satisfy my soul. All the lies I believed in left me crying like the rain. Then I saw lightning from heaven, and I've never been the same. Oh, I'm gonna climb a mountain. I'm gonna shout about it. I am a child of love. I found a world of freedom. I found a friend of Jesus. I am a child of love. We bless your name, Lord. I felt the sting of the fire, but I saw. Just when I thought it was over, you broke me out of the grave. Oh, I'm going to climb a mountain. I'm going to shout about it. I am a child 
again and well with the Father. Thank you, Lord. I hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all and all. Jesus Sin had left a crystal. 
shut me out. It won't let me go. So I keep singing. for all that you're going to do. Lord, I just bless you and I praise you and I thank you. Holy Spirit, we just need your anointing. I pray for your anointing just so strong on Pastor Richard and on all of the teachers in this place tonight and on us that we will hear what you want us to hear, that we will become more like you, that we'll get rid of our flesh and we'll become more like you, Lord. I praise you and I thank you in Jesus' holy name. Amen, amen, amen. Give him a la another hand clap. Give him another shout. We bless your name, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hello, PCA. So it's time for tithes and offerings. So... Tithe, you know, is the first 10%. Anything beyond that's offering. That's the same thing we say every time. I want to remind you the different ways we got to give. We can give at the kiosk out in the foyer. There's text to give. I don't remember the number. Sorry. Right there. 844-390-2401. Um, you can give online or you can give in the app. So the only thing I got tonight is a scripture that you know, God says in the Bible that if we're faithful with our giving, He'll bless us, correct? So in the Bible, I don't have the exact chapter and verse. It's, I believe it's in Luke. He says, He, he gives back pressed, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. So I pray that, or I just, if you give today, sorry, I froze up. But anyways, so let's pray real quick. Ushers, will you come forward? Father, I thank you for this time we get to come together, Father. We worship you with our voices, Father. Now let, let us worship you with our tithes and offerings, Father. I pray that if you put it on somebody's heart tonight, Father, that they will give whatever you ask them to give, Father. And, Father, I pray that the money that they give, Father, is sent where you want it to be sent, Father. And, Father, I pray that you bless them, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, Father. Father, we thank you for everything you do, and we thank you for this chance that we get to come together and worship you with our mouths, our finances that you've given us, Lord. Father, we just love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Good evening, PCA. So good to see all of you. Y'all all look great. Everybody online, y'all look great too, I'm sure. So anyway, good to see all of you. So glad you're here. And tonight, before I speak with you, I just want you to agree with me in prayer. We need to pray for several things. Of course, we've got lots of folks uh, who need a healing touch of one kind or another. Um, we also have some folks who are struggling with COVID, and so we want to ask the Lord to intervene in that. And we have a young lady who is a daughter of someone at our church. Her name is Chelsea, and she has got two clots on her lungs. And so we want to pray that the Lord will dissolve those and let those be gone in Jesus' name. So if you would, bow your heads with me and agree with me in prayer. 
Dear Father, we love you and we come before you because we know that you are a God that heals. We know, dear Lord, that you can move on the behalf of all the people that we have mentioned, dear Lord. We know, dear Father, we have people in our congregation who need your healing touch in one way or another. And so, Lord, I just pray that you begin to anoint them from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet and make them whole, dear Jesus. I pray, dear Lord, for the folks that have COVID, I pray, Lord, that you would destroy that and let it be gone in Jesus Christ's name. Lord, you showed yourself mighty the first time around. I know you could show yourself mighty again. And I pray, Lord, that testimonies would be where people stand in this place and say, I didn't know I was going to make it. I didn't think I could make it. But the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords came through and he helped me. I pray, Lord, for Chelsea, that you would dissolve these clots, dear Lord. Let them be gone in Jesus Christ's name. I pray that you would help her, dear Jesus, to be able to breathe fine. I pray, dear Lord, that you will, that all the complications would be gone. I pray that you will astound the doctors with them being completely dissolved and gone in Jesus' name. And, Lord, we stand on your word and we know that you took strength stripes upon your back so that we could be healed. And so, Lord, we pray mighty things would happen in Jesus Christ's name. Amen and amen. All right, well, just like last time, I'm going to kind of come before you and say, hey, listen, we still have this thing coming up on September the 11th. It's for the community. It's going to be a great time. It's going to have lots of fun. Be sure and get your name on one of those clipboards out there uh, because I'm going to be calling you. If I do call you, be so kind as to return my text or my call. I would certainly appreciate it. I'm like a bulldog there, though. I will tell you, I will keep after you until you say yes or no. So if you just say, I'm just going to ignore this, that's not going to work with me. <laughs> so don't, don't do that. Make sure that you, you know, decide one way or the other, and then I'll know whether I can move on or if I can count on you. So I'd appreciate that. Tonight, I'm going to talk to you. Um, it's not really like a preaching thing in that I'm not going to be saying, hey, do this, this, and this, or God is going to do this, this. That's not the plan tonight. Tonight, it's more of a conversation um, it's more of a kind of a teaching or something that I think is amazing and awesome. I've kind of discovered I want to kind of pass it on to you, let you check it out. And so we just kind of like to nudge you in the idea of digging in the Bible and finding the different threads and the different connections in the Bible. I mean, we could never find them all, but I just want you to kind of like begin to uh, research some of them out. I think you'll really be surprised. Tonight, excuse me. Tonight, the title of my message would be called A Thread of the Covenant, okay? A Thread of Covenant. So what I mean by that is the covenant of grace or the covenant that Jesus has given us with, or the covenant we have with God when it comes to um, him supplying someone to come and take our place is very evident throughout the Bible. And so we're just going to like look at that and kind of discover some of that, Okay. To start with, though, we all need to kind of like start with a basis of God made each and every one of us, right? Okay, so, so there are some people out there who would argue, you know what? He didn't make us. But I'm thinking everybody in this room and probably everybody online would say to themselves, yes, God made me. I agree that God made me, okay? Because we're all made by God, we have an obligation to obey him. Okay? Because we're created by him, because he made us in his image, we therefore now have this, this obligation or this covenant or this agreement to do as he asks us to do. Okay? And we all know that when we declare, I'm not going to do that, that that's called rebellion. All right, so either we're breaking that covenant or we're keeping that covenant. Uh, the very first covenant or very first agreement between man and God was found way back in Genesis. 
uh, if you're a theologian, you, uh, there might be some discussion on this, and I'll get to that in a minute. But I'm gonna, first, I'm going to read it to you. It's Genesis 2, 16 through 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So it's pretty straightforward. This covenant is, uh, is pretty easy to understand. You do this, this happens. You don't do this, this will, not, this will happen. And so <clears throat> covenant, though, means to cut or to separate in half and then go between. And so some theologians would say, hey, this isn't a covenant. There's no mention about the cut or any of that. And so <clears throat> that's true, but I do think that this is very much an agreement where there's promises and punishments if it's obeyed or disobeyed. So in my mind, this is a covenant. Um, <clears throat> eat anything here except from this tree. Of course, we know Adam and Eve could not keep this covenant. They messed it up. The fall of all mankind hinges on this. Uh, we are now, all of us, covenant breakers by default. And so, and it's not like we haven't on our own broke the covenant, but even if we hadn't, we're by default covenant breakers. Uh, we'll get back to that in a minute. That said, all mankind, whether they are raised in the Bible Belt or not, have an understanding of God. I didn't know that for a long time. I didn't know that, you know, it doesn't matter if you grew up around it or not. You still kind of have an inkling or an understanding of who God is. Uh, if you read Psalms 104, it speaks of all the splendor of God's creation. I'm going to read a little bit of that to you. It says this, Praise the Lord, my soul. Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. The Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. He makes the clouds his chariots. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes winds his messenger, flames of fire his servants. He sets the earth on its foundations and it never can be moved. You covered it with watery depths with a, as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains, but at your rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. They flowed over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place where you assigned them. You set a boundary they cannot cross. Never again will they cover the earth. And that's just a little bit of Psalms 104. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But basically, there's some amazing imagery there. And it's talking all about all that God has created and how he is in control of each and every piece of it. Then in Romans 1, 18 and through 20, it says this, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the, godliness, all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. That's an awesome scripture. He's basically saying, listen, just look around. Look at all the beauty that I have created and you are going to know that I'm real, that God's for real. Um <clears throat> So I love that those are in the scripture. I like to think that um, 
we also have a seed of his presence or an implanted knowledge, a kind of a sense of the divine. Now, be careful. I did not say a spark of the divine. I don't want to get into Gnosticism, but rather I'm just saying, I think God's put his mark on us. I think that, you know, he's, he made us, and so he's put his little stamp on us to say, you're mine. That's mine. And so for all of us, I think we have kind of an understanding that a God exists. Um, so by nature of being made by God in his image, we have an obligation to obey him. Now, we can shake our fist, and we can say, no, I'm, I'm my own person. I'm my own man. I do not have to obey the Lord. And we can even say that God does not exist. And we can say, I have no allegiance to God. And we can say, I was made through a process of natural selection and evolution. We can say all those things. But in the end, in the very end, it, we're still his. We're still made by him. No matter what our argument is, we're still made by him to worship him, to serve him, and to obey him. And we are either keeping that covenant or breaking it. We're either covenant keepers or covenant breakers. So through scripture, uh, though we know Christ is revealed as our, I'm sorry, through scripture, we know that Christ is revealed as our savior, um, both in the written word and the incarnate word, uh, Jesus in the flesh. I love this. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Man, that's amazing. Right there at the beginning in creation, there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit all together making this happen, creating this, creating a road of redemption, creating salvation for you and I. All of them are involved. And I love that. I absolutely love that. But here is Jesus, the word, which we read and get revealed from, but also the word in the flesh as Jesus Christ himself. He, re he reveals himself and his works through relationships with man throughout the Bible. Um, at work in all of this, though, is the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So they, before time planned the redemption of man, and they have carried it out through a, the course of time and have left not one T uncrossed, not one I undotted. They have caused, carried, and completed the plan to our benefit. Every bit of it is for our benefit. <clears throat> now, I heard a man, uh, a theologian once say this, the Trinity is the basis of the gospel, and the gospel is the declaration of the Trinity in action. So he's basically saying, listen, the Godhead in action is what the gospel is. It's the declaration of what's going to take place and what is taking place for people in their lives. So for God is to be glorified and to give his only son. For Jesus, it's to purchase our salvation. And the Holy Spirit is for, to point us to Jesus. So they're all at work doing this for us. So if we, if we look at the scripture, if we look at the Bible through the lens of of Jesus Christ, when we read the Bible, we get kind of a, a new, in some of us anyway, we get kind of a new perspective, a kind of a cool thing. Um, now, many of us, we are past, we, we know how the scripture was fulfilled because we live in the time that we live in. But let's say you lived previous to Jesus or you lived during the time of Jesus, you might not have understood everything that was being said and done. You might have been kind of like, huh? 
It would have been brand new to you. But us being past that, we kind of have an idea or an understanding of it. For this message, though, I want us to take a look at what we're going to look at through a Christocentric view, meaning to look at it as Jesus would have seen it or Jesus might have thought about it. Um, I'm hoping it will be like, you know, okay, so how many guys in here have ever bought your sweetheart flowers? Anybody done that? Okay, I have. And how many when you were at the flower store or in the grocery store or whichever venue you were at to get the flowers, you first started to get the ones that were all in bloom, right? But then your practical side kicked in and you said, hey, wait a minute. If I buy the flowers that are still kind of butted up, they will last a lot longer. And they're still going to smell good and she's still going to be excited I brought them, but they're going to last a lot longer, right? And so you don't get the ones in full bloom. You get the ones that are butted up, right? So that's kind of like what's going on here with God revealing himself in Scripture. It's the same flower. It's the same God, the same covenant, the same plan. You just get to see a little more as time goes along. And so that's what's going on here. Now, if the Bible were a landscape and we got on a hot air balloon and we went up, we wanted to take a view and look down, we might notice that there were some contours that stood out to us. And they would be things like creation, the fall of man, redemption, and restoration. Over and over and over and over again, we began to see this. Um, so we might notice that. And we also about begin to notice common threads between things that connect things in the Bible. And I want to talk to you tonight about a common thread that kind of connects a covenant. Um, we might notice that this connection that I'm talking about happens through temples and trees. Temples and trees, and I'll explain how. First place we're going to start is in the Garden of Eden. This I consider a temple. You're like, well, there's no building in the Garden of Eden. What are you doing? No, no, no. The Garden of Eden was a place where um, Adam and Eve walked and talked with God. It's a place where they communed with God and, and hung out with God and, and had fellowship with God. So for that, I consider this to be kind of like a temple. I consider this place to be a temple. Um, and, but right off the bat, God is going to tell them this agreement about just don't eat out of that tree in the middle of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat off of that one. And right off the bat enters the devil in the form of a snake. And we all know the story. He's going to start by casting doubt on the truthfulness of God. He's also going to uh, really start by saying, hey, it, God's not really good or he would not be withholding from you. And then he's going to say, you know what? I'll bet God's insecure. That's what he's worried about. He's worried that you're going to become just like him. Okay, so listen to what it says. Uh, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? <laughs> the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat it from your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So we know, <clears throat> okay, 
Pardon me. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was there with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. You see, Satan will always question your place with God. He always does that. He will always question your place with God. He will try to convince you that you are equal or better than the one that created you. He'll try to convince you that you need a better standing than what you have. And and he'll try to take you out of the place that God has put you in. He always tries to tell you that you can decide on your own things that God has called sovereign. It's always a lie. Every single time he tells you, the devil tells you something, it's a lie. It's a lie. You, he says to you, he says to Adam and Eve here, he's basically saying, you'll be your own gods. You can make your own rules. Then, of course, he did tell them their eyes would be open. And yes, they were opened. But what they saw was what pathetic gods they really were. Not at all. That's what they saw. They were like, wait a minute. We, he told us we're going to be like a god, but we, we're nothing like God that we've been hanging out with. We, it is completely pathetic what we are. We are ashamed. So they grab some fig leaves, which in turn, God comes along and instead gives them animal skins to cover themselves. This is the first act that we're going to see of taking something else that's his, shedding its blood to provide for us to cover us. He, he created everything. He created the animals. He created us. And he takes one of his animals and kills it and sheds its blood to get skins to cover us. <clears throat> blood had to be shed for something. And it was that something was innocent of our sin. Something else took our place to be able to give us clothes. This prefigures Christ. Now we see that Adam and Eve have broken this covenant. And I'm going to call this covenant the covenant of works. Meaning, you do this and as God, I will do this. You don't do this and as God, I will do this. So that's how I'm going to call it. They could not keep this covenant. They broke it. They took from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Bringing sin and making themselves subject to death and decay. You know, when you wake up in the morning and everything pops and creaks, thank you, Adam and Eve, okay? (laughs) That's because it's all breaking down. It's all going away. (laughs) You can keep replacing it with stuff, metal and stuff, but eventually it's going away. You're going to lose it all. Eventually, you will die like everybody else. We are all subject to death. And so... When you read that God set a flaming sword going this way and that, and that he put cherubim to guard the guardian and kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden, uh, you might think, and, and he, he did that, you might be thinking, hey, wait a minute, is he punishing them? Well, it's actually more protection than it is punishment, and here's why. He did not want them to eat of the tree of life and become, it says, lest they become like us. Not meaning lest they become powerful and godlike, meaning lest they become eternal. He did not want them to become eternal because he wanted to be able to redeem them. He did not want them to be unredeemable. And if they ate of that tree, they would become unredeemable, making them be in that state of death and decay forever. And he did not want that. So he ran them off as protection. 
Now, as we keep reading in Genesis, we're going to go to the tabernacle. And this is a temple in tent form. This is a temple they could pick up the stakes, take it somewhere else, put it back down, pick it up, take it down. And so this is a tabernacle, is a temple in tent form. In Exodus 26, this is what it says, 26.1. Make the tabernacle with ten curtains of finely twisted linen and blue, purple, and scarlet yarn with cherubim woven into them by a skilled worker. Wow. God's basically saying, listen, put up this curtain so it can separate the regular part of the tabernacle with the holy of holies, the place where I'm going to abide. And basically, only one time a year, one guy went back there, and even when they, he went back there, they put a rope on his ankle, and they put bells on the bottom of his, his skirt there, and they wanted to make sure that, you know, he could still hear him in there. And if they didn't hear him anymore, they yank on the rope and pull him out because that means he died, right? And you had to be like, you had to be ready to go in there. You had to be straight and right with God or you were, you're dead. So <clears throat> now a side note, listen to this. I like this part. Um, he says they, that the curtains would be made by a skilled worker. I like that. And it's, it has nothing to do with my sermon, but I just like that because no scrub stuff for God, okay? He wants the best of the best, a, a skilled worker. So just remember that. Next time you want to donate something to the church, no scrubs. Okay, here we go. So <clears throat> God instructs Moses, though, to put up this curtain. It separates the regular tabernacle with the Holy of Holies. And on that curtain, he puts what? Cherubim, which is very, very much in, in accordance or similar to what we've seen in the Garden of Eden with the cherubim guarding that part of the Garden of Eden. And so I think that's kind of interesting. I think that's kind of amazing. Uh, guarding that place that man cannot enter in his state is the throne room of God because of our fallen state. We can't go in there because we have sinned. We have broken covenant. Now, go on in the Bible and read in Deuteronomy 21 and 23. Oh, by the way, in the middle of my sermon, I remember this. And so I'm just going to tell you. Here we go. Everybody online, everybody here in the sanctuary, um, if you're having trouble keeping up with all these scriptures that I'm reading, don't worry. Don't fret. You can just go to pcachurch.com, if you'll put the slide up there, please, and you can click on message notes. And if that doesn't do it for you, do the next slide, please. You can also scroll down, Pastor Richard's message notes. Click on either one of those, and you will get that. And so there they all are. Um, just, just for your information. There you go. Now, back to the message. Okay, so uh, Deuteronomy 21, 23 says this. You must not leave the body hanging on the pole overnight. Be sure to bury it the same day because anyone who is hung on a pole is under God's curse. You must not desecrate the land the Lord your God is giving to you as an inheritance. And then if you go on, the correlation with that is in Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. Now here's a tree again. He was hung on a pole. He was, caught, he was hung on a cross. He was hung on a tree. Here Jesus is hung on this tree becoming the curse that we should have been. He was taking and becoming a curse for us. Someone must do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And that becomes Jesus Christ. And so you begin to see how this kind of connects together and begins to play out. And here's where it gets even better. While Jesus hangs on the cross, here is a guy, 
he's claiming to be the Messiah. He's being crucified out on the edge of Jerusalem on top of a trash heap. And, and this, you know, all the Levitical priests, they're doing their thing in the temple, right? They're doing what they're supposed to do. They've done it for ages, and that's what they're in there doing. When all of a sudden there's a huge roar, and they see something they should have never seen. We're not expecting to see the holy of holies right there in front of them. How did that happen? Well, it says in Matthew 27, 5, or sorry, 27, 51. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split. Whoo, son. Now, guess what was on that curtain? Cherubim, okay? But here's the deal. <laughs> It, God has ripped that thing from the top to the bottom because Jesus Christ has made a path into the throne of God that you can now enter. If you follow him and believe on him and, and you're a, a, a child of the king, you now can boldly go into the throne room. You don't have to worry about stopping at the curtains with the cherubim on it. You don't have to worry about stopping on the edge of Eden. You are in. You are in to the throne room. You can see Christ paved a way to the throne room of God for those who believe in him. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says this. Therefore, since you, we have great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Aren't you glad that he was tempted in every way we were, but did not sin? Meaning he now can be someone who says, I did it. I was able to do the, that first covenant. I was able to pass it. I was able to follow the law. I was able to be able to handle it. I did not break the covenant like Adam and Eve did. I made it. And not only that, he's, not, he's going to continue on to be our covenant of grace. So anyway, here we go. <clears throat> Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. My goodness, it's not telling you to know, you know, sad sack it in there. You know, God, hey, man, that's a, I've been having a rough day. I, I, this is awful. And, you know, if you want to help me out. No, no, no. <laughs> He doesn't say to do it like that. He says, go in there boldly. Be like, God, I know I'm a jerk. I mean, I know I messed up. You know? But I need your help. I, you're the only one that can help me here. Just be bold. Talk to God. And then finally, if you carry this on through, you get to Revelation 19 and following. And I love what it talks about in Revelation 22, 1 through 5. Listen to this. Then the angel showed me the river of the, of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God. And the lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the trees, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God. 
and the lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need light or a lamp and the, for the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Wow. Here's the tree of life again. He kept them out of it in the garden because they weren't able to be a part of that. There was, it wasn't possible. He is holy. He does, not, he does not negate on that. He stays firm on that. I am holy. And so the only way for us to be with him is for Jesus Christ to be our sacrifice, take our place. And because he did, and if you believe on that, then you can go to heaven. And what do you see? The tree of life. Son, we're not designed to be our own God. We are not designed to be gods. We are designed to be God's creation. That's what we're designed to be. We're designed to be God's creation. Now, let's back up just a little bit. Watch this. We're going to go back now to the Gospels. We, we made it all the Revelation, and y'all were like, yes, Genesis to Revelation. He's done. No, no. Going to go back to the Gospels for a second. Remember those guys on the road to Emmaus? Remember them? That can be found in Luke 24, 13 through 35. Folks up in the booth, they do not have this scripture because I thought I am not reading all that. You can do that on your own, uh, but I'll summarize the story. Um, so these two guys were walking back, and Jesus comes up to them after he's risen again and says, uh, so what are you talking about? And they tell him. They say, listen. This is what's going on. This guy is a prophet, and he's supposed to be the Messiah, and all this stuff is supposed to take place, and this is how it's supposed to go. And, man, he's been crucified, and we don't know where he's at. And we just, we, we don't know. And so it says that Jesus uh, starts telling them about the scriptures and the law. And basically, in my mind, he's laying out to them the plan of salvation through the Old Testament. Right? He's just kind of like helping them out a little bit. He's kind of saying, hey, listen. This is how it all goes out. This is how it happens. This is what's going on. And I'm sure that the, uh, these folks are like, these guys are starting to kind of get an inkling of what's going on, but they still don't know who he is. Um, he's got about to go, but they're like, hey, no, no, stay here. And so it says that he does. He, st- he says that he stays there and says, so he bids them to eat, which I find interesting because think back to the garden. Adam and Eve are communing with God. God says, eat anything you want, just not that thing over there. They fail and they do eat it. And yes, their eyes are open, but to what pathetic gods they really are. Their eyes are open to, ooh, we are awful sinners. Um, Now, go forward. Here's Jesus walking and talking with them, communing with them, just like before. He bids them this time to eat takes the bread, gives thanks, and breaks it. Whoo, son. Listen, if I was them, this is my favorite kind of meal right here. You get an illustration and you get to eat, okay? We should do church more like that. That's what I'm saying. Anyway, but no, he's, he's giving them this illustration, and he, as soon as he does, as soon as they eat, as soon as they taste it, they understand their eyes are open. And of course, he disappears. I'm gone. But they realize that there is a God and his son was right in front of us. Son, that would be amazing. But you see what happened there? 
No longer are they, hey, don't eat that. Now it's like, hey, you know what? Eat, and their eyes are open. It's a fantastic, it's a fantastic correlation. Continue to study, though. Uh, check that out, and check out Ephesians 1 and 2. Check out Titus 1. Look at all those and just begin to understand how that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all very much at work at bringing us a plan or a road to salvation. The first Adam fails the covenant. He's not able to do it. God goes to him and says, hey, where are you? Now, do you think God didn't know where he was? God knows where he was. This is more of a making Adam accountable. It's more of a, hey, I, I need you to tell me what you're doing. Kind of like it's an accountability thing. Adam does sadly what a bunch of people since him and probably a bunch of people after us and a bunch of us have ever done. He plays the blame game. He tries to shift the blame. As a matter of fact, he even tries to shift it onto God. He says to God, if you hadn't made her. <laughs> God gives him this amazing, incredible gift. And he says back to God, if you haven't made her. Oh, how dare him. And then he says, and if she hadn't given it to me, I, I probably would have never, you know. No, no. That's not true. We all know that's not true. He knows it's not true. God knows it's not true. God does not argue the point. Instead, he gives what I will label a covenant of grace. He says this in Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. He's talking to the serpent right now. He's telling him, this is what's going to happen. This is a promise to me of grace, of God saying, listen, they don't deserve it. They didn't do anything to earn it, but I'm going to cover them. I'm going to give them a way out of this. Okay? I'm going to help them out. And, my, and her seed is going to crush your head. That same promise of grace, that same covenant, but in different administrations will show up all through the Old Testament, all through it. It's going to be that same thing, that same promise, but it's just going to come in different forms, different ways. Here, check it out. Genesis 6 with Noah. Go read that story. That story is all about salvation. Then there's Genesis 9 for all humanity with the rainbow and the promise. Check it out. Genesis 12 through 17 with Abraham and him saying, listen, go outside, count the stars, count the seeds. Or, I mean, count the, the grain of sand. You're going to have so many kids. So many nations are going to rise up from you. Go and check that out. Then also with Abraham about Isaac and when he goes to offer God asked him to offer him as a sacrifice, and I'll get to that in a minute. Second Samuel 7, David to have an heir on the throne forever. Whoo, son. Listen, David was all about building God's house, okay? He wanted to build God's house, and God said, no, you can't do it because you have blood on your hands. But David, because you are interested in building my house, I'm going to build your house, son. I'm going to make sure that your house has a person in authority on the throne forever and ever and ever and ever. And so it has been done. Jesus Christ is the heir of David, and he reigns forever. So even the most famous story of David in the Bible, though, is a story of salvation, a story of grace. It's David and Goliath. 
Now, a lot of us look at that story and we say to ourselves, you know what? We sometimes look at it and think, well, little David against big Goliath, and we are like David. Uh, we are small, and we have our big problems, and we have to face it. And if we're brave, then God will be with us. And you know what? That's not a bad takeaway. That's a pretty good one. But I don't know that that's the only one. Because I think if we look at it through the lens of Jesus or look at it through the lens of a covenant, look at it like this. The son is sent by the father. The son fights on behalf of the scared people. He crushes the giant in the head. The giant has on chain mail, which in my opinion would have the look or uh, similar to the scales of a serpent, okay? That's just a little interjection on my part. That's not something you can confirm. And like any good boy raised in the country, what do you do to a snake? You cut off his head. That's what he did to the giant. He cut off his head. Then we go on to Genesis 21. Abraham, take your son, your only son, the son that you love, and sacrifice him to me. Now, I love the, the faith of Abraham in this story. Because if you read this story, you'll get to the part where he tells his servant, hey, you stay here. I, I, he and I are going to go over there and worship, and we'll be back. Son, that's amazing faith. Because he's basically saying, I know God's going to provide a way. We're going to go over there and worship, and we will be back. That's pretty amazing. But he says, hey, sacrifice him. And then he gets over there. He's about to do it when the angel comes and says, no, 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 look. And what's, what's, what is caught in the thicket? A ram, a male lamb caught by its horns in the thorns of a bush. This will not be the first time that a male lamb will wear a thing of thorns. See what I'm, how I'm correlating that together? Jesus Christ wore a, a, a crown of thorns whenever he was put on the cross he was the perfect lamb he was the one and only official sacrifice jeremiah continues this promise of a covenant by saying their sins will not be held against them any longer and then finally jesus at the last supper this is the cup is my blood and the new covenant so here we have this guy who has not sinned He's not only fulfilled everything with the first covenant that was broken, he is now able to be the second covenant, which is I'm going to sacrifice myself for you. You need somebody to do something for you that cannot do yourself. So we must have faith in Jesus, and we must have faith in him to be that someone to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. He obeyed the law, and he was sacrificed, making our way to the Father. And now, like it says in Isaiah 61:10, this is what it says: I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. His righteousness, not ours, his. But look at that. God provided a, a clothing for us in the garden. It was animal skin, and he did that through a sacrifice. And now through this sacrifice, man, we are clothed with salvation and righteousness. What a deal. And, and amazing how it has come all the way from where it started in the garden to where it is. 
But man, what a deal. As the bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as the bride adorns herself with jewels, we are clothed in a robe of righteousness. Then it goes on, and you keep on looking in the Bible, and you'll notice that what they've set out to do, the Holy Spirit, the Father, and the Son, they're going to make it happen. They're going to complete it. Because it says in Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You see, they caused, they carried, and they complete the plan of salvation. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit cause, carry, and complete the plan of salvation. Now, we're going to go a little bit further back and back into the Old Testament again. And I want you to think of how violent and smelly and bloody and disgusting the whole sacrifice business was. It wasn't just like one little lamb, right? And everybody kind of like, hey, no, no, there was a bunch of it going on. And it was a mess, so much so that pastors even preached to us and told us about the stuff that they would mix up to be able to have an aroma, a sweet aroma to cover up some of that. I just want you to think about how awful it was and why. Because God wanted them to know how serious sin was. Think about the thing where they would take the scapegoat and they would put their sins on the scapegoat and then put it outside the city and not let it back inside the city wall. It's going to die. A predator is going to kill it or it's going to starve to death. One of the two, but it was a picture to paint in front of the people. This is serious. Sin will kill you. So understand that These men with Jesus in the upper room had an understanding of sacrifice. And they had an understanding of how it was important and how it it meant a lot in the Jewish tradition. And they, they would have had a complete and clear picture of this. And now imagine when Jesus says, this cup is my blood. It's the new covenant son. You know, in my mind, they had to be thinking things like Exodus 24, 8, which said, Moses then took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with these words. He's got to be going like, you know what? That blood, that's basically me. That's my blood. I'm, I'm the one. I'm the sacrifice. I am the ultimate sacrifice. I'm the only one that you should, the blood that you should drink. I am the ultimate sacrifice here. You see, from Genesis to Revelation, there's trees and temples and a thread of a covenant of grace throughout. Now, from this study, I I just loved it. And I have just scratched the surface. Like, I mean, there are so many connections, so many um, promises, so many things that God has said will take place and will happen and how he made them all happen. There's just tons and tons and tons of it. You may not ever get it all before you go to heaven, but don't just sit around and not look. Make sure that you look, find it, go and study it. And from this study, I got a whole new message uh, the next time I preach. And basically, it, it boils down to this, that a lot of times when we read the Gospels, we look at all those little stories and we think of them as an isolated pocket, you know, where he, he healed a person here or he cast a demon out here or he got in a boat and went across the water and calmed the waves here and so on and so forth. And so we look at all those things and we think they're an isolated thing. But what I began to think about was, you know what? What if we looked at it as Jesus making a path 
for uh, for us to the Father and knocking down religion and building up relationship as he went through, how they would all be strung together, how they would all kind of fit together, and how if you were a Jew,